Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I want to complain that it's cold out here in Portland, but I understand there's a bomb cyclone heading for the Northeast. Um, And while that sounds especially awesome, it also sounds like something I want no part of. So I hope our listeners on the East Coast will be able to batten down the hatches, ride this one out, uh, and we'll see you safe and sound on the other side of this Arctic chill. I think that's a Gatorade flavor, by the way. I don't don't know. Uh, All right. A new year means new beginnings for all, but we're back to our old tricks here on getting in with a little twist. While we'll have admissions experts on later to talk about summer planning and those late, late, late deadlines, I thought we'd kick things off today with your old pal and mine, Kathy Ruby. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Happy to be here. Great. Happy New Year. Now, um, I'm excited for our first segment today because it's an area where I feel like a bit of a junior expert myself. Uh, and it's only taken me my, my whole life to get here. But um, we want to talk a little bit about resources students can use to manage their money. Um, and I hope you'll agree that this is a topic that is not only for students. I and mean, we were focused a little bit on what students can do. But but I think there's great advice here for, for everyone uh, yeah. who's interested in managing their money. Um, so kids are headed back to college. Maybe they had some conversations around the new year learning to manage money, maybe not, hopefully. January is a good time though for New Year's resolutions and starting over, uh, maybe coming up with a budget system. So why are we focusing today on apps and resources around budgeting rather than just what parents should teach their kids about managing money? Well, I think we thought for this topic that this would be helpful for parents to learn about the different tools that are out there because, because what we did or what how we've learned to manage our money may not work for our kids, right? So right. they're young adults. I have I have young adult children, and I am gradually learning that I can't tell them what to do. <laughs> and Surprise. that I can't tell them to do exactly what I do, that they need to figure out a system that works for them, right? Right. And, and everybody has to do that, quite frankly. Nobody really learns to manage their money until they have to manage it and they have to create a system for themselves. And certainly the millennials um, understand apps, right? And so there's sure. great tools out there that, that can help kids and college students learn how to manage their money. So right. we're not telling them what to do, but we're going to give them the tools they need to figure out what might, might work for them. And there are a lot out there. And, and you know, we, um, in my household, we just sort of thought, all right, we need to a little bit better of a budget tracking system. And so we, we did some research and looked around at different different options. And a few of the mm-hmm. things that we found are some things that, that you wanted to talk about today. So let's, let's talk first about budgeting. Uh, what are some apps that you think might be useful for college students? Okay, great. And, and you're right. There are so many out there. And so we're not necessarily recommending one over the other. We just want to get some names out there and, and help people get started on their research. Um, so certainly Mint, Mint.com, Mint Personal Finance is one of the most popular um, yeah. and highly rated. And I know for my husband and I, that's what we use um, when, I mean, it was one of the first ones out there, I think, before there were even apps. There was a website. Right. Um, another one that's pretty popular these days is something called You Need a Budget, 
Y-N-A-B, um, and it tracks income and expenses and, and encouraging, encourages people to allocate their current income toward future expenses. Now, the problem with YNAB is that it is not free. Um, it mm-hmm. costs $84 a year. You can get a 30-day free sample, or at least when I was trying to sign up the other day. Um, or a th- yeah, 30, 30 day 34 free days, actually. Because they want that? you to be able to, after that first month, spend those four days looking to make sure that you, you did it yeah. right. So it's exactly. a nice extended and they, And their trial. argument is that you'll save that much easily in a year, if not more. Nice. Um, so, but that's another highly rated one. Another one that's kind of interesting is called Wally, um, mm. and this is one that actually lets you take pictures of receipts, just like our travel program does, right? Um, and it loads it into the app, and then it helps with tracking expenses. So it just makes it a little smoother. Cool. I so I was talking to my my friend about this because he he was also doing some research, and he was looking at you need a budget and had a hard time figuring out how it worked. But I'll give a little plug for the listeners is that um, Wirecutter has mm-hmm. a review of some different budgeting software and apps and things like that. Oh, and great. they actually, he said that when he read the review for you need a budget, he understood how it worked for the first time because, because it, it helped him to understand the way that money is being allocated through that system. So if you're having trouble figuring out how it works through the tutorials that they give, uh, the Wirecutter review might be helpful for you. Well, and that's actually another great point because some of the websites we're going to talk about later on provide reviews of different financial products. And I think reading reviews online really can be helpful in terms of not just understanding, but making, you know, really fully understanding what you're, what you're going to be using. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, don't worry about, you know, it's, it's January 4th. Now it'll be January 11th by the time our listeners hear this, but don't feel like uh, we missed the boat. You know, the new year's already started. <laughs> we can't do that. You can start on February 1. You can start on February 12th. It doesn't really matter when you begin, but it is a good idea to to get started on something like this for your student. What about other resources for, for budgeting? What are some other things out there? Well, so one of the one of the overviews that I really liked was on the Motley Fool's website. Um, cool. So if you just web search the Motley Fool 60-second guide to budgeting, um, it really gives a good step-by-step overview of what the budget, budgeting process should look like, no matter what tool you're using, quite frankly. It, it really explains the concepts, how to collect the data and set goals and understand your cash flow. Um, College students should also check their banking apps. Um, So I know um, my daughter uses USAA, or our whole family does. I guess Mm -hmm. I'm plugging there, but they have a budgeting app within their within their banking system. So you don't have to worry about transferring data from one financial institution to another if you don't have very many accounts, Mm -hmm. um, which college students often don't. And then remember, too, that for some kids, it might make sense to just do this manually, you know, just collect receipts and keep a little notebook and then transfer it into a spreadsheet later on. It's got to be whatever works for for the student. Yeah, some kids and and my wife also, um, Mm -hmm. she she's like, you know, I don't I don't want all these systems that automatically put the stuff in there. I want to actually go right. into a spreadsheet and type it in. Yeah. And I, I was honest with her. I said, you know, I actually spend less when I have to do that because every time I enter an expense, I feel bad that I'm right. spent more <laughs> of our money. So, so it's like exactly. it reinforces that. Whereas just the automatic thing, you don't sort of see what's happening. That, that, that's a very good point. I mean, yeah. Really, did I just spend seven dollars on a cup of coffee? Right. 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 Yeah. Well, you know Portland, Oregon. So what? What can I, what can I say? That's that's me. I'm guilty as charged. Um, I would also say that actually, 
you can make that an app, right? So you can do like a, a Google Sheet and mm-hmm. just go into your Google Sheets app on your phone and type it into a spreadsheet that you've prepared on a computer. So, so there are ways to make that happen as yeah. well. Um, what about saving and investing? I think it's a big piece, you know, as you get older, you've got a little bit more, you've got maybe retirement accounts, you've got 529s. Um, but what about for college students who are just getting started on saving and investing? Are there some apps that can help them to see what those options are? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, for college students, it may seem counterintuitive, right, that a college student would need to save because they don't have any money in theory. But in, but in reality, they do because, if they're if they're using financial aid to pay for their living expenses, they might get a big check at the beginning of each semester, and they have to figure out how to make that last to right. pay for their rent and their food and their utilities and any you know bigger expenses that they might have later on. So, um, so there are a couple budgeting apps out there with special features to encourage saving. Um, we already mentioned Wally. Um, there's also one called Capital, which is Q A P I T A L, um, and it lets users set multiple savings goals. And their motto on the app says, "Save for what you want, spend less on crap you don't need." So you gotta love the motto. Um, yeah. In terms of investing, um, and many people have probably heard of this app called Acorns, which allows you to essentially it rounds up your transactions so that you're investing your spare change for each transaction. It goes into your Acorns account, um, and then it invests in low-cost index exchange-traded funds. So they're similar to mutual funds, but they trade like stocks. So, um, you know, that's a great way to learn about investing, not so much saving, but investing, because you actually can lose money here, just like when you invest in the when you buy stocks. Um, and also with Acorns, you do want to be aware there's a $1 fee per month, which doesn't sound like much, but if you don't have enough transactions to make that worthwhile, it's actually a pretty high percentage of what you're investing. So it's yeah. just something to be aware of though. But it's a good way to be saving the little stuff, I guess, is a way to think about it. And, you know, another thing to, to think about um, as you're looking at where you're keeping your money uh, is is what kind of return you get just from your checking account or savings account where you're actually putting that stuff. You know, I found just in the last uh, 10 years when I was thinking about where to keep my money, there's a credit union that had a much better rate um, mm-hmm. than what I got at a bank. And so moving my money to that credit union actually gives me a nice little dividend um, every month if I sort of have the uh, you know direct deposit and, and meet a certain number of transactions. So you can do some research on those things and figure out sort of the best way. Every, every little bit's going to be helpful, I think. Yes, yes. And some of the websites we mentioned later on, like NerdWallet and Magnify Money, um, those are all great places to research those kinds of accounts, those higher interest savings accounts, which are still not <laughs> as high interest as, you know, the 80s, but they're still better than nothing. So Right, right. That's right. And there's a big difference between, you know, 0.01% and 1%. 1%, yes, absolutely. 1% is great um, when it comes to savings. Uh, were there some websites that you wanted yeah, to yeah. So know for Yeah, a couple websites just to get kids excited about saving or just to, to learn more. Um, and these are easy to remember. America Saves dot org and choose to save dot org. So they have great tools and calculators and um, and just just various stories and motivational tools there to help you get started on saving no matter what you're saving. Very cool. I think that that's that's something that's really helpful. So now we want to think a little bit about um, 
Comparison shopping, too. I mean, this is a good thing for students to learn about what's out there. Um, you know, you don't just see, a, see an item and buy it right away. You might look around to see what you can find. So what are, what are some resources that you can use for comparison shopping? Maybe apps. Yeah, so there are lots of apps for comparison shopping. Um, Red Laser, Ibotta, Idealo, Retail Me Not, which is a clever name. Um, there are also <laughs> apps where you can earn points or you can get rebates on your shopping, like Shopkick, uh, Moby Save, M-O-B-I-S-A-V-E, or Ebates. Um, I would caution on the the ones where you're getting rebates or earning points, you know, be careful that you're not spending what you don't need to spend. Um, I know I was looking at one of those and getting ready to send it on to one of my kids and then realized, wait a minute, do they really spend that much? And so would it actually earn them anything, right? So you, you yeah. want to make sure you're not spending to earn, that you're actually spending on things that you need. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have to remind myself on some of those, like, credit cards that give you 1% cash back. It's like, oh, if I buy this, I get 1%. That's a, and that's a big purchase. It's like, that's just a dollar for $100. Probably yeah, don't need exactly. to buy that $100 item. Uh, Do just I to get actually that, need that this kickback. thing? Yes. That's, that's right. That's the key. Um, and then another one that's just for gas is Gas Buddy. So if you're somebody who likes to make sure you're getting the cheapest price on your gas, or if you have a long commute, it can make a big difference. Um, and then, of course, there's Groupon for discounts and things, which many of us are familiar with already. Right. That's um, right. And a really good website for anyone who's looking to save money and be frugal, um, a website called thepennyhoarder.com. Thepennyhoarder.com. It's got lots of great ideas. And, you know, I think it's also really helped. We do so much online shopping these days, and I know college students are no different. I got my Amazon account when I was a freshman in college. Um, wow, it shows up at your mail stop. It's great. Um, when you, Before you're going to buy something, uh, just do a quick search to see if you can find it cheaper somewhere else. Right. You know, there's it doesn't hurt you to, to just take a little bit of time and do that. So, um, you know, it, what's what's important about this, and I think you might agree, is is for parents to help reinforce the kinds of habits that students need to maintain as they become adults. Because if you all just sort of say, I'm going to buy this thing, you know, first time I see it, um, mm-hmm. and you do that for the rest of your life, you're talking about hundreds, thousands of dollars that you could save if you're if you're just a little bit more thoughtful about waiting for sales or looking for alternative options or using these apps. Yes, absolutely. So what are some tips, you know, just sort of places that you can go? I think you alluded to like NerdWallet earlier, but places where um, there's good just general advice on personal finance that parents can teach their kids. Yeah, so um, going back to Mint, but the website themint.com actually has some good resources for parents, um, providing tools to help teach kids about money. Um, Khan Academy actually has a whole section on um, personal finance topics, so get into their website and see what they've got, and as we know, they, they explain things in, in good ways. Um, nerdwallet.com and magnifymoney.com. Um, now, these are probably more for, for less for college students and more for people who are starting out as young professionals, but mm-hmm. certainly it's good information for college students to learn. Those are websites that provide good neutral information about different financial products. They do reviews. They <clears throat> give you good information about all the different aspects of money management. Um, 
And then the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is actually a government agency that makes sure that banks and lenders and other financial companies treat consumers fairly. Um, So they've got impartial information on all areas of personal finance. So their website is consumerfinance.gov. And they've got lots of good information out there. Um, That's great. Yeah, and then and then just finally, there's a book that we like called How to Make Your Kid a Money Genius, Even If You're Not, <laughs> um, by Beth Koblener. And it, it provides ways to talk to kids about money ranging in age from 3 to 23. So it's got age-appropriate ideas for, for anybody. So That's great. I You know, I love – I think apps are a really great thing for, for all of this just because, you know, students really like that – almost like that video game reinforcement, you see like different colors and you get alerts and you Mm -hmm. you have like an exclamation point that says, hey, you saved this much this week. You know, making almost a game out of it, I think is a great way for students to get excited and embrace it a little bit more. Um, You sort of get that positive reinforcement from an app that says, hey, you saved $15 this month. That can be great uh, for for a student. So think about some of these options for your students. Um, You know, research as much as you can. Um, and, and get them on it as well. I think it can be an exciting thing for, for a student to look at. It really reinforces their independence, which is what sort of college is all about. Um, any other things that you want to share, Kathy, just around this particular topic? Any parting words? Uh, no, I think just remember parents try to give your college student some responsibility for their finances. You may be covering the bulk of their expenses, but make sure you are giving them some responsibility for managing their personal expenses or their books or their car insurance or whatever it is so that they learn to manage the money that they have. Yeah, that's great. And you've said, I think, on a past show, you know, if you give a student, say, a monthly allowance, make sure that they, you stick to that number yes. <laughs> and don't sort of bail them out and say, all right, well, I'll give you a little bit more if you want to buy something else. Right. Keep keep that number going. And that's a great way for them to work on budgeting if you have that flexibility as well. Yes. Awesome. Well, Kathy, thanks for your insight today and, and having all of those resources. Um, maybe that's something we can put up on a, a blog post so that uh, people can can come by the blog and have a look at, at some of those recommendations as well. All right. I will definitely pass that on to the bloggers. Let's do it. All right. Great. Um, folks, when we come back, we're going to put some summer sun on that Arctic chill. So grab a pineapple and some coconut milk and meet us after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. It might seem a little odd to talk about summer in the dead of winter, but in our experience, there is really no better time to start the conversation around summer planning. Today marks the first day in our summer program series, which we'll be returning to each week of the show over the next six weeks. We'll be highlighting summer programs for everything from STEM today to writing to volunteering and the arts. So whatever your students' interest, we're confident they can find a way to use their summer session productively. For today's session, we're going to talk a little bit about STEM, and I'd like to welcome back Zaragoza Guerra, a tremendous college coach advisor with past experience at both MIT and Caltech. Welcome to the show, Zaragoza. Thank you, Ian. Glad to be here. Now, because this is our first time talking about summer programming, at least for this year on the show, before we get into some of the STEM-specific content, I thought I could start with just a really broad question for you, uh, and that's this. Why does the summer even matter? in the college admission process? Don't, don't colleges typically want to keep their analysis confined to the academic years? Great question. I'd say this. You know, oftentimes colleges and universities want to get a feel for the excitement a student might have for a particular subject matter or perhaps get a feel for the kind of skill sets that a student is developing outside of the classroom. You know, and sometimes is a really one of the uh, prime times to be able to do something outside the classroom. You don't have uh, competing activities to cater to. You don't have competing classwork time. It's an opportunity for a student really to focus in on what's important to them. And that could either be you know, those extracurricular activities, or it could be some of those co-curricular activities. And by co-curricular activities, I'm, I'm talking, you know, some academic activities um, that don't necessarily have to do with what a student is uh, studying inside the classroom. It could be something extra, you know. And I think for a lot of students, particularly, you know, either in STEM or in any other particular area, uh, if they are trying to get a feel for what they might want to study in college or if they want to get a better feel for what they would really love 
to study, what they would really love to immerse themselves into rather than what's going to be dictated to them by a school curriculum. This is their opportunity to do it. So I kind of look at it as not necessarily as a summer program, but as a summer opportunity, an opportunity to take a dive into what you love doing. That's great. And, you know, I, I had a second question written here and, and, and it's, I think, the question that we most often get from parents, which is, um, what are colleges looking for from a summer experience? But it almost sounds like you're saying it's not what necessarily colleges are looking for. It's what the student is looking to get out of that experience. And, and that's maybe a smarter way of approaching the question. Absolutely. I wouldn't try to take a gander or a guess as to what a college or university is looking for, because I don't think there's necessarily any one thing that they're looking for. I never, as an admission officer, uh, try to check off to see, hey, did the student do X, Y, or Z? I wanted to get a sense for, does the student have a passion for agency? Do they really love doing research? If so, how did they demonstrate that? Um, did they really love working with their hands? How did they do that? You know, what, what are some of the avenues they took to be able to practice what they love doing? And I think that's um, what is more important and what is going to probably perhaps, as a consequence, draw the attention of a college or university. So I kind of steer students into thinking or, or get them to think about what is it that you've got a passion for? What is it that really interests you? And focus in on that rather than what the college is looking for. Because if you do what you love doing, chances are catching the eye of a college or university might end up being a consequence of immersing yourself into that passion. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that way of phrasing it. I think it's good. We're, we're you know, as, as we go through this program series and we talk a lot about different types of passions that students have and ways of focusing their energy on, on areas that they're excited by. I think, I think the STEM area is the one that students feel most often that they have to do something over the summer, that, that, mm-hmm. that they need it if they're going to be competitive, especially at top top schools, but but even at schools that have solid engineering programs or if students are looking for computer science majors, um, would you say that, that there is more of sort of a, a, an importance placed on STEM aspiring students to do summer programs than other disciplines because it's, it's the norm or, or is it sort of the same um, for everyone? I think it, you know, for STEM students, oftentimes... You know, particularly if you're going to certain fields, let's say like engineering or, you know, some, some fields that are going to require a student to do, um, to have a passion for a particular subject matter. You know, if, if a student is aiming for, let's say, a math or science school that has certain prerequisites, you know, that says, hey, we want you to take physics, and we want you to take chemistry, and we want you to take biology, and we want you to take upper-level math. They're looking for those students um, who are going to give them an indication that they love that and that they want to do that and that they're going to immerse themselves in that, rather than students who might be hesitant or students who are coming late to the game and thinking, no, I, I'm not really so sure. So they're trying to find some evidence for that, and a summer opportunity could be a way to provide that evidence. 
Okay. I'm not necessarily, I don't think necessarily that a student has to do a formal summer program. And I, I kind of like to think of it, you know, as I said, as a summer opportunity, because there mm-hmm. are some formal programs that one can do to kind of provide that evidence. And then there are some things that a student can do on their own as well. Okay. There are certain programs that are going to give you all the tool, the, the toolbox and, and, and all the tools to be able to, to do the stuff that you might want to do. And there are other means to be able to, uh, you know, get kind of that relative same experience of immersing yourself within a particular topic. So I don't think it necessarily has to be a formal program. And I don't think it necessarily has to be something that you're going to shell out a lot of money for. Um, I think what's going to be more important is uh, figuring out ways to get a feel for a topic, get a feel for a particular profession, um, and provide that evidence to a school that, yeah, I thought about this. I thought that, you know, about engineering, and I think this is something that I want to do. And give them that admissions committee that, that confidence that, yeah, this is someone who is going to dive right into this. Great. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about get down to brass tacks a little bit and think about what some of the opportunities are that are out there. You know, in our previous segment with Kathy, she shared a, a ton of resources and websites and ideas, um, you know, for students that are looking to manage their money. Are there resources or websites out there for a student who says, you know, I really want to do something cool this summer with STEM, uh, places that they can go to get some answers about what those opportunities look like? Yeah, you know, there are some um, some schools and some nonprofits out there that pull together a lot of these, um, you know, service resources for a student who's looking for a kind of STEM program. And it's going to vary depending upon the student's interest. You know, there might be some specifically for math. There might be some specifically for engineering. There might be some specifically towards the sciences. So, you know, STEM is going to incorporate all of those um, different disciplines. And so, uh, as I said, there's no right or wrong answer. I would say, you know, if you are someone who wants to go into engineering, you know, perhaps a a research program might not necessarily, you know, in, in the pure sciences might not necessarily be your thing. And that's okay. You don't necessarily have to do that. Or if your love is math, you might not necessarily have to do that applied engineering. It could be something else. So, um, I'd say this. Um, if you're looking for, let's say, math programs, and you just wanted to do math, um, there's a, a really great resource out, put out by the American Mathematical Society um, on their website. They've got a page just on residential math programs and summer camps well, um, that students might want to, to take a look at. That's an excellent resource. Um, I'd say um, if student wanted to perhaps do some kind of research, maybe in the biological sciences. Um, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, yeah. um, they, they put out uh, a page. Some, someone at RIT puts out a really great page on life science summer internship programs and, and opportunities. So I might send a, a student there. Um, if a student maybe wants to... You know, let's say they've got a scientific question that they want to answer on their own, or they want to figure out how do I go about answering those questions, or maybe how do I uh, get myself involved in a science fair or something like that. Really great resources, Science Buddies. Um, 
and and they provide a, a lot of really great uh, guides for doing independent science projects, you know, for students. So there are going to be some some pretty great uh, sites out there. Um, Society for Science in the Public. That's also another really great resource for those students who've got some scientific questions that they want answered. Um, how do the students? How do you go about doing that? as a high school student, and what are some programs that you might want to get involved in as a consequence? Um, and I know that even uh, a place like MIT, Johns Hopkins, they, okay. on their admission website, they also put out a list of um, science uh, programs that are out there, you know, in case those students want to go into a formal program um, as well. Yeah, and, and Stanford has a really nice resource. That, um, it's a PDF that they share about how you can find an unpaid internship in science if that's something you're interested in. Tips about connecting with a faculty member, asking questions, uh, how to advocate for yourself, what to focus on. I think that can be really, really helpful. Um, sometimes we get questions around um, you know, parents asking, are there specific kinds of programs that stand out more than others? Uh, you know, as much as we want to emphasize opportunities and personal growth and following your passions, we always come back to, to a question of, well, what are, what are some of the programs that are most notable? Um, are there some out there that are really compelling or really exciting or, or that maybe catch the eye of admission officers more than others? You know, there are some programs that I would say um, might be a bit more on the competitive side. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, hey, if you participate in this program, that's going to guarantee you admission there. But it, it, it's at least a, a way of, um, you know, participating in a particular program. Admission officer might think, hey, this the student's work was kind of vetted, and they were vetted. They were admitted to that particular program. So, um, as I said, not necessarily guarantee of admission, but... It is something that they would recognize as um, a, a selective program, you know. And I, I'd probably say you know, there are a number out there, uh, uh, you know, depending upon the particular topic. Um, y- you know, some some selective programs, let's say math, might be like Promise at the U or um, the Hampshire program. Um, there's a Canada USA Math Camp. Um, if someone's looking at, let's say. Or research, you know, they might want to consider perhaps the RISE program over at BU or the Clark yeah. Scholars program um, over at Texas Tech, um, RSI, um, their Research Science Institute, that's offered at um, MIT and, and, and Harvard. Um, perhaps um, within engineering, you know, engineering is a little bit harder because oftentimes some of those programs are a little bit more um, giving you an idea of the different engineering disciplines. Okay, but there are some really great ones out there, you know, like uh, Operation Catapult um, over at Rose-Hulman or MITES uh, at MIT, uh, the Women's Technology Program over at MIT. Yeah. And, um, you know, so those are kind of probably some, some starter programs that I would say uh, cool. for students to, to take a look. That's great. And, and I wanted to ask just about... You know, a lot of students, they sort of start with this idea of I'm going to apply to a competitive research program and, and maybe they don't they don't get it. They're really, really selective. Um, and then there sort of as an alternative opportunity for a summer session um, in a particular area of study, whether that's a science or engineering. Maybe it's a college level class with high school students like um, BU has a summer session program. Um, two questions. One is, you know, so is there value in doing those kinds of summer programs and who are they right for? And second, 
is there a relationship between doing a summer program at a particular campus and then getting a favorable look from the admission office at that same campus? Great question. I'd probably say that, you know, oftentimes for some of the more competitive programs, what I generally recommend to students is because they are competitive, you are going to be, it's like a college application process. You are going to be telling the program about your activities, about the kind of coursework that you've taken, you know, perhaps even on your testing. And so oftentimes some of the programs that you mentioned in terms of getting uh, a good academic background by taking classes, by immersing yourself within a good topic, that could be a good foundation perhaps for some of those more competitive programs. Um, I see. And for some schools, um, it's not necessarily that it's going to get you an in uh, within the admissions process, but I would say, you know, if you've taken a class with a particular professor at the school, you know, perhaps that professor might write a letter of recommendation for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, not, that's not to say that that's going to happen at, at every summer program. There's some summer programs that might not necessarily have a connection to the school. It's just housed at the school, and the school's just, uh, you know, charging for the residents, the use of the residences. I mean, there are going to be others where, hey, actual faculty are involved. And if that's the case, and you're getting some one-on-one face time with some of those faculty, you know, perhaps they might write a letter of recommendation. And if I were an admission officer and I were getting a letter of recommendation from a faculty member, the school that I work for, I might pay attention to that a little bit more. That's not to say that that's going to happen, um, yeah. but there are those possibilities. Gotcha. So, so, you know, one of the big sort of truisms that we return to for any kind of extracurricular program is it's not just the fact that it shows up on your resume, but it's what you do with it when you're there that makes a difference. And that might be the quality of your research, the discovery that you make, the experience you gain, or the impact that you make on a, on a faculty member who writes a letter. But it's not just showing up and checking a box that colleges are looking for. Exactly. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, even with that Stanford PDF where they're giving advice on students how to, you know, find your own research project within the university, I think that kind of holds for all universities. Um, I, you know, whenever I, I, I was doing admission, it wasn't necessarily, hey, wow, they did that particular research at that program, okay? You know, it, it was often more, hey, they did that particular research. They followed their, their hearts. Uh, desire, they follow their passion or their particular interests, this is what they learned, and this is what they did with it. And it it could be that it was done at some university I might not necessarily have heard of, or it could have been at a well-known university, you know, that I, I would have been very familiar with. So right. it, it's not necessarily, as I said, the name of the program. It's what you're doing and how you're doing it and uh, how you're applying your, your knowledge. Perfect. That's great, great parting words. And Zaragoza, I want to thank you for sharing that experience with us. And I'm glad you're going to be able to avoid the chill that's heading up the East Coast this week. Uh, I am very glad to stay warm. (laughs) Terrific. Folks, when we come back, we'll be spending our last minutes together today talking about last minute applications and what to do now. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever given any thought to what is behind your insurance coverage? Many of us don't think of it as more than that premium you pay on a regular basis. Of course, until you actually need to use it. On CYA with Rhonda, you'll learn to cover your assets and find out what all of that insurance mumbo-jumbo really means. If you're looking for a lucrative career option, Rhonda Lukey will explain how to get into the insurance business. Listen live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. One of my favorite parts of hosting every week is when I get to introduce a new school to y'all. And today is no different. Sticking with the theme of colder weather, I thought we'd take a trip up to the Twin Cities for the University of Minnesota at Minneapolis. So here we go. Spanning two cities and four campuses, the University of Minnesota combines top athletics with great academics in a thriving global community. The U of M's 31,000 undergraduates are most heavily concentrated in the College of Liberal Arts, the College of Science and Engineering, the College of Education and Human Development, and the Carlson School of Management. But with 151 majors to choose from, academic opportunities are practically limitless. In addition to featuring one of the country's most robust study abroad programs with almost 300 locations in 80 countries, wow, uh, U of M also grants students the freedom to attend universities closer to home. Thanks to the National Student Exchange, students can spend up to a full year studying in Hawaii, Puerto Rico, or the U.S. Virgin Islands. If you love Big Ten football, you'll love U of M Stadium. Just eight years old, it can hold up to 50,000 Gopher fans. 
No fans of the visiting team, please. And it features the third largest video board in the country. Female athletes have performed exceptionally well in recent years. The women's hockey team claimed the national championship in 2016, while women's gymnastics, soccer, softball, and outdoor track and field teams were all named conference champs within the past two years. Uh, And I'm personally especially stoked about U of M this year because one of my students was accepted early, and I think it's a great fit for him. But not everyone can be accepted early, and not everyone can get their apps done earlier, which is why we often need to probe for some alternative plans. So to do that, it's a pretty good transition, I'd like to welcome one of our most knowledgeable educators, Mary Sue Yoon. Welcome to the show, Mary Sue. Thanks, Ian. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we are thankfully in the final days, or we've passed the final days of the application process for seniors, at least for Mm -hmm. most of them. Uh, For some students, that means they're filing everything away and they're looking towards the spring. For others, it means they're scrambling to get some more apps done before things finally close. Um, But this is a time where families can be confused by what's next. Um, Is there something at this stage in the process that every student should be doing? Or are we dividing students into two camps, those that are done and those that still have work to do? Um, Yeah, I would say that there's there's kind of two camps. So let's, I guess, let's talk first about the ones that are done. So for those that are done, um, I would say first make sure that you truly are done. So so make sure that the application has been submitted. Um, One of my students this year thought he had submitted an application, and I kept asking, did you get a confirmation from the school? And he hadn't, and he went back, and lo and behold, he actually hadn't hit the submit button on the application. So luckily, he caught that before the deadline. Um, But make sure that um, the application has actually been submitted and that you've received some sort of confirmation from the school, either that they've you know, accepted your application through the online system, that you have a receipt from the credit card payment if you paid the application fee that way, um, or something that, that some sort of acknowledgement. Oftentimes they send some sort of email acknowledgement to the student um, that the application has been received. So I would say for those that think they're done, that's the first thing that I would say to do at this time of year is make sure that all those applications are actually received by the colleges. Yeah, Yeah, and, you know, schools often give you um, IDs where you can log in and check status. Mm -hmm. You can can look for, um, you know, whether letters of recommendation have come in, and you can go and talk to teachers if if they haven't been received. So there's a lot that you can can look at and just sort of make sure you're checking all those boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, What about students that are already admitted to an uh, ED program? Um, mm-hmm. They've been accepted. They know where they're going. They're not even considering anything at this point um, in terms of additional options. Are there things that they need to do around the application process, or can they just sort of coast to the finish <laughs> right. line? Is it party time senioritis? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I would say even for, for the students who were admitted early decision to their first choice school or they were admitted to an early action school that they know that they're going to accept that offer, and they're sort of done in the process, um, first of all, make sure that you complete all the paperwork needed um, for the school. So if there is an enrollment deposit that needed to be sent in, make sure that that's sent. Um, if there's housing forms that need to be sent in or other uh, academic advising requirements that the school requires, make sure that those are sort of followed up and, and tied up. Um, also, make sure that you are withdrawing applications from other schools that you are no longer um, interested in attending or no longer able to attend because you're already accepting that early decision offer. So there's a few things to do um, from the application standpoint. And I would also say it's not party time senioritis on because uh, most colleges will have some sort of um, caveat 
in their admission letter saying we've admitted you at this level and we expect you to uh, continue out your senior year at the same academic level. And so um, the worst phone calls I ever had to make as an admissions officer were ones to students who had taken a nosedive in the second semester of their senior year, and I had to rescind their offer of admission because they went from being an A student to being a D student and no longer were being offered that admission spot. So So, you do not want that to happen to you. Right, and and that's a true nosedive. We're not talking about a little turbulence, right? It, it's it's no. you know if you've got a little bit of fluctuation in your grades. I think that's something that you know colleges are somewhat comfortable with. I wouldn't test them, <laughs> um, but if you know if things sort of fall off a cliff, you're you're in real trouble. And you know it reminds me of a, a student that I had who he got a, a bit of a lower grade, at least as far as he's concerned, in the fall of his twelfth grade year. And so his question was, well, should I? Should I withdraw applications to other schools if I have a you know chance of being rescinded? And and the answer was yeah, you still need to withdraw because you've been accepted and that's a condition of your your acceptance. So you kind of have to follow the requests of these schools and then you've got to keep keep going in the the course that you're on so that you're not putting yourself in danger of of losing that option. Um, but those are kids that are done. I mean they've 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 done all their work. There are still some students out there who maybe want to put some more applications out. Um, they're considering different schools or, you know, they're still kind of finalizing their work. A lot of schools have late deadlines. Um, yeah. So what about students who, who you know, are, are still working? Um, are, are there any tips that you give them if they've got their list set and are still sort of, you know, plugging away with their head down trying to, to hit those deadlines? Right. And yeah, there are quite a lot of schools that are still open. And that's something that I think a lot of um, listeners may not realize is that there are schools with late January deadlines, February 1st deadlines, or rolling admission, meaning that they don't really have a deadline. Um, That said, even if they don't have a deadline, they're rolling school, the earlier you can get it in, the better. So, um, you know, don't dawdle and wait till April or anything like that. But Um, You know, I would say just consistently work through the applications, work through your list of of essays and to-dos, and make sure that the other pieces, like the guidance counselor and teacher recommendations, uh, test scores are all being sent into the college, just like I would recommend in the fall. Um, It can be a little tough to be one of those later completing students if you have a lot of friends who got done everything in December, but, you know, sort of just put your nose down and uh, try and finish those out. Um, Sometimes it's also a midterm time at this time of year for uh, a lot of high schools. So, you know, it's just sort of get through the next few weeks, get out um, all the applications that you can, and uh, then you get to the waiting part, which is often the hardest, and while you wait for them to make their deliberations. Right, right. Waiting is tough, and, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do at that point, um, except sort of sit back and and see what happens. Uh, But what about students that are sort of in position where, Maybe they only applied to one or two schools under an early process. They were really confident that they were going to get in, and, and they got a denied decision. They might be surprised by that outcome. Um, mm-hmm. What are some resources that they can use to sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, go back to the drawing board and, and see what other yeah. schools are still accepting applications and maybe find a list of possibilities for them? Yeah. So actually the Common Application has a way of doing this. You can sort on the Common Application for schools that have not yet had their deadlines pass. Um, And that is one way that you can find out schools that are still open and still available for you to apply to. Um, Now, not every college, of course, is on the common application. So if it's a school that's sort of outside of that realm um, that you're interested in, you know, maybe um, check out some other 
uh, you know, a lot of times public universities are not on the com- Common App, but they may have rolling admissions. So check out some schools near you. And if you're really feeling um, stuck, uh, you know, sometimes it's worth a call to the admissions office if you're a couple days past a deadline, but you still like yeah. to file that application. Um, I do definitely remember accepting some late applications from students. Um, sometimes, you know, life happens, and sometimes um, it could just be that you got thrown by a loop and early, but sometimes, you know, there's a medical crisis or something else, family issue that's happened that um, has thrown your uh, college application process into not where you were expecting it to be at this point. So certainly admissions offices are, um, I think, empathetic to that and um, will you know, try to the best of their ability to, to accommodate you if possible because they do want to make sure that they're getting a good group of students that is applying. Right, and it, it doesn't always have to be a, a big crisis either. I mean, I, I, we had some situations when I was working at Reed where a student would say, I just learned about you. Uh, I know the mm-hmm. deadline's coming up, but I'm, I'm, I would love to apply. It's a school that I, I really think is a great fit. You know, can I have some extra right. time on the deadline? And, you know, the reality is that, we're buried under applications from mid-January to early March. So we're, we're reading them, right. and, and there's plenty of opportunity as they come in for us to, to have a look. That okay. that might be the case at a school like Reed that admits about a third of its applications and likes having higher app numbers and a bigger pool to choose from. They're probably not going to be the case at a school like a, a Stanford or an Ivy that has all the applications they can handle and, and doesn't need mm-hmm. to be flexible in those deadlines. But it doesn't hurt to reach out to admissions officers. They are people, um, you know, they're, that are working in those offices. And you can ask that question if you really want to make that, um, yeah. that addition. And the worst I can say is, you know, no, we're closed and we're not accepting any more applications. But then at least you know that information and, and can kind of right. move on to some other choices. It actually happened to me for my grad school apps. I, I sort of discovered late that University of Wisconsin had this awesome education program, but it, it was past there. They had a very early deadline. And so I said, can I can I still apply? And they said, nope, <laughs> it's, it's too late. Yeah. I said, all right, great. I'll okay. the others. I'll be fine. Um, any sort of additional thoughts for students, um, reasons that they might you know, a student at this stage in the process might be finished and he's got all his applications in and, and a good balanced list. Is there any reason at this stage that a student would keep applying to colleges um, that, you know, they would increase the number of schools they're applying for? Or should you just sort of be ready to walk away uh, when you're done? I think as long as it's a good balanced list, um, then I would say it's a good idea to walk away. You know, as, as one of my our colleagues likes to say, you know, sometimes if you're a painter, you could constantly put a new little dot on that painting, but sometimes you just have to step away and say, it's done, um, and feel confident with that. And so if you do have a nice balanced list that has, you know, some more reach schools, some safer schools, some target schools on that list, then it's it's a good idea to kind of go, okay, we're done, and I feel confident that I will have some choices at the end of this process and not keep applying just for applying sake, you know? Um, right. So I think it's good to kind of step away once you have that balanced list. And and be aware of the information around you. And I had a student this, this uh, December who was really worried about her chances of getting into schools because the early action school she'd applied to, which was Chicago, notified students much later than any other school. And so all her friends were hearing from schools and getting in and she wasn't getting any notifications. And so mm-hmm. she felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting into college. But I had to remind her, that's because you just haven't been notified yet. 
And so if you're applying to a lot of RD schools and your friends are getting into schools and you haven't heard yet, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your app. It just means that there's something about the timeline you've used that means you have to wait a little longer. And that's okay. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I had a a few students this year who got deferral notices from early applications, uh, from early action applications in December, and they sort of panicked and go, went, you know, do I have to redo my entire common application and redo my main essay, and is this not working? And I, from years of experience now on, on this side of things, I always say, you know, just take a deep breath and stay the course and know that that is a solid essay and a solid application and that you will get good news in the spring. I've never had a student not get good news in the spring um, eventually, so sometimes it can be hard when everybody else is hearing good news, but you do have to right. kind of just feel confident that it's, a, it's representative of you at that point. Exactly. That's great. Great words of advice, Mary Sue. Be confident. Be, be, be ready to say you're done. And we're done with the segment today, so I want to thank you for coming on in and, and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks for having me. Of course. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks uh, up in New yeah, York. Yeah, absolutely. Cold. So, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So that does it for another episode of Getting In. Hope you enjoyed our show today and all the shows you've heard of the last few years. Uh, a reminder that if you're interested in an older topic, you can always search in the show's archives on the Voice America website uh, and find any content you may have missed. We also have all of our old episodes on our podcast. So if you've got a podcasting app, you can look back and see old content as well. Next week, Beth Heaton returns to eponymous show to talk to you writers about potential summer program options. So grab a pencil and a journal. Tune in for that juicy story. We'll also have Tova Tolman back on to talk about the Fordham admissions office. And our finance team will be giving you some great info on 529s and prepaid college tuition plans. So we're going to have something for everyone. In the meantime, enjoy your January. Good luck with all those fledging resolutions. We hope you soar this year. Have a terrific week. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.